Thanks to my friend Nicole for reading our Bible reading for tonight. Let's give a God praise for her, huh? Yeah! Nicole! Right on. Hey, uh, one thing that I forgot, I forgot to grab a candle. So if somebody wants to grab me a candle so I can have one later on, that'd be nice. Because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have like Silent Night by Candlelight. And that's going to be so fun. And I don't want to be the only one missing out. If you didn't get a candle on your way in tonight, make sure that you get one. Um, because that's going to be so fun uh, in uh, three hours and 42 minutes when I finish this sermon. So looking forward to that. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here at Hope Ames, and I love being able to worship with you all. It's going to be a long month and a half when we're not worshiping together every single week. I'm really going to miss you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to miss you. Yeah. I'm going to miss you. Uh, thank you. Nobody was saying it to me, so thank you for saying it. It's so lonely up here. We're in the second week of our series called All I Want for Christmas, whether you are in the room here or if you are with us in Iowa City. We're so glad that we get to go through this series together. If you wouldn't mind, if you're in this room, would you turn around, look at that camera, and say, what's up, Iowa City, on the count of three? One, two, three. City. Yeah, what is up, Iowa City? We're glad that we can join together. Is that game tomorrow night, Iowa and Iowa State? What's that? The women won tonight here in Ames. All right, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And then we got another game tomorrow night as well. Uh, let's, let's just continue to love each other, right? All I want for Christmas is love. That's not our topic tonight. Um, but tonight we're talking about all I want for Christmas. Um, it's interesting. I heard it said last week, and I said it to you last week, but I'll say it again. If our Christmas lists were ever enough, why do we keep on making them? Why does it still feel like something is missing? I want us to ponder this question tonight. What do you believe will make you happy? What do you believe will make you happy? Intentionally, I want to ask that question in future tense because the truth is, is most of us today are not happy. Here's another thing that I referenced last week. Very few of us feel like we're happy these days. Um, the University of Chicago came out with a study within the last year. Every single year, they survey thousands of people and they ask, are you happy? Only 14% of people said that they were very happy. Ever since they've been doing this study over the last 50 years, that is by far the lowest that it's ever been. Before then, the lowest that they had ever uh, received for how many people are very happy, it was at 29%, which is not particularly high, but 14%, that's quite the drop off. And we wonder, how is that even possible? These days, we have more comfort, we have more convenience, we have more access, we have more tools, we have more resources where we live and when we live right now and right here. What is it that we're missing? And that's the foundational question of this series that we're going through, All I Want for Christmas. Now, Jesus did not... Uh, Jesus didn't want to leave us feeling empty. Jesus did not want to leave us feeling like we're still missing something. So he addresses these things time and again throughout his life. And especially in his farewell speech with his disciples, farewell speech, if you will, he's having this last dinner with his disciples. You may have heard of this. It's called the Last Supper. Jesus is about to be arrested, handed over to authorities, put on trial and executed. And he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's coming his way, but he wants his disciples to still feel full. He doesn't want them to feel like they're missing something. Jesus looks at us and he says, I know that you can't figure out what you're missing, but I do know what you're missing. 
Does anybody here ever feel like they just can't put their finger on it? What is it in my life that I cannot name? Like, what is it that I'm missing? I, I don't know. On Sunday mornings, our church gathers here uh, and we have a program called Hope Kids. It's our Sunday school for our kids who are ages three through grade six. And um, this past Sunday morning, I was uh, doing my walk right before the sermon where I kind of went out and I went into the back hallway, then I came backstage. And right before I was about to come out, I see this little girl sitting in the middle of the hallway with one of the Hope Kids volunteers with her. And this little girl is in the middle on the floor and she's just crying her eyes out. She's crying and she's screaming. And the Hope Kids volunteer looks terrified. Like she has it under control, but she looks terrified. She goes, what's wrong? She screams, I'm not happy. Why aren't you happy? And she screams, I don't know. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? What is it that's going to make you happy? What are you missing now? I think that Jesus sensed this in his disciples. They felt like they were missing something. He says, I want to give you something. I know what it is. You might not be able to name it, but I can name it. I know what you really want for Christmas. Jesus says in John chapter 15 to his disciples, I've told you these things. I'm telling you what's gonna happen. I'm asking you to stick with me, to remain with me, to hold on to me so that you will be filled, not empty, not missing something, but filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You won't be able to contain it to yourself. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Jesus says, I know that you feel like you're missing happiness, but I want to bring you joy. There's a difference between the two, and we're gonna talk about that tonight. A lot of us are seeking happiness, and Jesus says, I want to bring you joy. And you can have that in Christmas, who are the people in this world that you believe are the happiest, the people that you believe are the most content, the people that you believe have it all? On this next slide, tell me if you recognize this guy. This is a picture of this guy when he was young. His name is Jim Carrey. You guys still know who Jim Carrey is, right? Yeah. Right? All right, all right, good, good, good. Jim Carrey, spank you very much, as he always says. Um, you can't say that out of context. That's weird. Anyway, <laughs> but Jim Carrey... Uh, one of the most famous comedians, one of the most famous actors of all time. And he's made it, right? But when he was young, it wasn't like that. When he was young, he had a dream. When he was young, he wanted to pursue something. He wanted to be happy. He wanted to have joy. And a lot of times we think of happy and joy as synonymous, and they are, but there's a difference. But nonetheless, he wanted to have joy. What is it that you believe will give you joy? Now, I think that it's... Uh, honorable that nobody expects joy and happiness just to show up in their life, right? Like everybody believes for the most part that if you want to have joy, if you want to have happiness, you're going to have to pursue. Turn to the person next to you and say, pursue. pursue. Yes, you must pursue. You want something, you better pursue it, but not too much. Otherwise she'll think you're creepy. Anyway, so you got to pursue it. You've got to go after something. Jim Carrey felt like he was missing something in his life, and he knew that in order to get to joy, he would have to pursue it. When we think about joy, we oftentimes realize that joy and pursuit are connected. And it's true. Joy and pursuit are connected. And in Jim Carrey's mind, he thought, I have to pursue joy in order to get it. And so as some motivation for himself when he was a young comedian, he was homeless, he was broke, he was living on the edge, not sure where he was going to sleep at night on any given night. He wrote himself a check for $10 million. Of course, he couldn't cash it at the time. 
But he thought that it'd inspire himself, move him, drive him, get him to get what he really wants so that he could pursue that thing and then he could finally feel joy, feel like he filled that hole in his heart. In 1994, he cashed that check for $10 million because he played Lloyd Christmas in Dumb and Dumber and he was paid $10 million for that role. Seemed like it all came true, right? But if you fast forward a few decades, Jim Carrey is no longer making very many movies and you don't find him in a lot of comedy clubs. Instead, he says this. He says this. I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know it's not the answer. Jim Carrey pursued joy and he got what he thought would be joy and he realized that wasn't it. What do you believe will make you happy? It might surprise us. Who has joy? What gives us joy? Where we find joy? It'll surprise us. It's not just Jim Carrey. Again, think about the people in this world that you believe have made it, the people that you believe would be content, the people that you believe would have joy, and hear what they have to say about how they're feeling these days. Take a look. Do you feel that you're happier right now than when you were broke or not really? Sometimes. Uh, it's a sometime thing. But I feel like the way that I have money kind of took away a lot of my happiness. Then what happened was, I then experienced the things that I was culturally indoctrinated to believe would be a kind of salvation. Fame, fortune, uh, attention, and yet salvation did not come. And I had worldly success in multiple industries. So I was successful in the music business, I was successful in modeling, in television, in real estate. So I made all this money and I had all this success. And here I was going, okay, I still don't feel any different. It's weird, dude. Like, fame is disgusting, horrible, gross, throw up, blech. I think it can completely destroy a human being. And it, it, I got to a point where- Did it almost destroy you? Complete, yeah, it almost completely destroyed me. But I was lucky enough by the grace of God to, to have people that care about me. Why am I unhappy? Okay. Okay, so Stephanie Gaga hybrid person. Why are you unhappy? I had, I was a millionaire. I had a beautiful, beautiful women in my life. I had um, cars, a house, an incredible, uh, a solid gold career, and, and a future. And yet, on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. When those things came, the, the happiness wasn't there, and I, I realized why that was. There was, a, there was such an attempt to achieve these things and to keep going that you lose sight of the people and the blessings that you have around you. A lot of people think getting famous will save you, that it will grant you the life you feel you're owed and spare you certain indignities. I was pretty bummed to realize that rather than lessening or eliminating my insecurities and least attractive qualities, it basically poured fertilizer on them. Has your happiness risen at the same amount as your bank account? No. That's the thing. They don't, they don't. They don't equate or they're they not tied in any way. They're not tied or, to each other. If it's success, you can never get enough of that. I realize that it's like, it doesn't stop. It keeps calling you. It's like a drug. It's a hamster wheel. It's a hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're never satisfied. But if you place your importance on this, which is like. Appreciation. Appreciation, love. 
you know it's like that that is that is enough so you're saying that that having a certain amount of money doesn't bring happiness at all because i would actually disagree with that you can disagree with it if you want to yeah. um but money has nothing to do with your happiness i've often said that i wish people could realize all their dreams and wealth and fame and so that they could see that it's not where you're going to find your sense of completion. What do you believe will make you happy? When I hear rich and famous people telling me money's not going to make you happy, I oftentimes think, that's great, but I'd like to find out for myself. And maybe someday you will find out. But we're only fooling ourselves if we believe we're going to come to a different conclusion. Jim Carrey these days is not spending time in comedy clubs. He's not making a lot of movies. Instead, he spends time in his garage and he's painting pictures. And you know who he keeps painting pictures of? He keeps painting pictures like this one, pictures of Jesus. I find that fascinating. I'm not saying Jim Carrey has Jesus figured out, and neither do I. But it does seem that he thinks that Jesus has more to offer than the things in this world can offer us. There's something deeper. There's something better. There's something bigger than all the fame, all the money, all the influence, all the power, all of the beauty that you can think you could possibly obtain in this world. See, this is the hardest part. What is it that you are trying to pursue? What is it that you believe will bring you joy? What's at the top of your list here? What do you think it's going to be? And the hard thing is, is that if it's anything that we can find in this world, while it might be a good thing, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to have in your life, it will break your heart if it serves as your God. If it's money, you'll never have enough. I mean, do you ever think about why the richest people in this world right now have, over, have a net worth over $200 billion? I mean, my goodness, wasn't $1 billion enough? If it's money, you'll never have enough. If it's power, you'll always look over your shoulder and wonder who's going to take it from you. If it's intelligence, you'll always feel like you're on the verge of being found out, seen as a fraud. Maybe people won't think you're as smart as you really believe or want them to believe you are. If it's beauty, you'll always find something in the mirror that you don't like until one day you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm 29 going on 30. I'm old. It hits you. It's not a fun realization. I have to pluck the center of my eyebrows. It's just a thing I have to do these days. <laughs> what is it? If it's something you can find in this world, it'll break your heart. Because it's limited by this world. Recently, I was um, concerned about my world, right? This was uh, just this week. I was frustrated because I didn't get everything done in a day that I wanted to get done. And I was sharing this with a close friend of mine who's incredibly wise. Um, and uh, and he, he uh, got this idea, I think, from something that he'd seen online. But really quickly, he, he Googles an image of the world. And he said, OK, Danny, I'm going to show you a picture of the world. Ready? I'm like, OK, cool. He goes, so that's what the world looked like before you didn't get everything done that you wanted to get done today. Do you want to see what it looked like after? It's the same. And that can be humbling, isn't it? So all of a sudden, we're I'm like, oh my goodness, I thought that every little thing that I'm doing is making this massive, significant, and crazy impact on the world around me. And here's the cool thing. 
You are important. You are valuable. God decided the world wasn't done until you were made. Like, you are empowered to do great things in this world. And yet, simultaneously, you're one human being. You're one human being. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay to be there. It's okay to receive that and be like, okay, it's fine. There's only so much I could get done in a day. And my goodness, if I can't complete this entire path to joy or whatever it is that I think that I have to accomplish and obtain in my life in one day or maybe in four years of college, so be it. My life will not be defined by the things that I could obtain in this world. Instead, my life will be defined by the thing that God has given me and the thing that God could never take away. It is absolutely shocking to think of the people in this world that are lacking joy, that are lacking happiness. It's the people that you think of when you think that they should be the most content because they have the most money, they have the most fame, they have all the riches, and they tell you that's not where it comes from. This has been happening for so long. In the Christmas story, one of the very first people that we meet is a guy named Caesar Augustus. Turn to the person next to you and say, see Augie. That's how I remember him in my mind. Here's what we find out about him in Luke chapter 2. At that time, right around when Jesus was about to be born, there was a Roman emperor. His name was Augustus, and he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Augustus had obtained it all, right? He pursued what he wanted in life, or maybe it was just given to him because he was born into it. And he should have had joy. He should have had happiness. He should have had everything that he ever wanted in life. And yet, if you look closely at the text, and if you think about what was just said on the screen there, you realize this man is massively insecure. Here he is, ruler of Rome. And he has to have a census. Why would he have a census? What was the big reason for the census? Of course, there are lots of different logistical reasons. But what historians will tell you, the reason why emperors had censuses back in those days is so that they could flaunt their power. He wanted to know, just how many people do I have power over? Just how many people listen to me? He's insecure. He wanted people to be terrified of how many others had to listen to him. And if they didn't, you don't want to know. This guy has everything, but he's massively insecure. I mean, he's happy of all the things that have happened in his life to get him to this point. He's happy. I wonder if on any given day he feels emotionally pleased with the things that he's seeing. But that's all that it'll ever be if that's it. I think that this is a simple way to define happiness. Happiness is a present reaction to the past. But that's all that it is, isn't it? Happiness, it's an emotion. There's nothing wrong with being happy. I don't think that God looks at us and says, why are you happy? I want to send more evil into your life. No, gross. You're not more spiritual if you have more hardships. But happiness... That emotional feeling, it is a reaction to things that have happened in the past. But God wants to give us something deeper and better than that. Happiness is a reaction to the past, but joy is a security in our destiny and a future. It does not mean that that destiny and future will be perfect. It does not mean that that destiny and future will have all the things that you believe creates joy. But it's a promise that there's something deeper, bigger, better that could never be taken away from you in that future. Happiness is a reaction to the past, joyous security, and our future destiny. 
What if your life fell apart? Some of you could sit here today and say, my life fell apart. This Christmas is gonna look different. My school year looks different. My life looks different. Everything turned and changed and it just happened in a moment. Is there still something for Christmas for me? Jesus has something for Christmas for you. Our church, Hope, I feel like we've been going back to this passage over and over again the last year. It's Matthew chapter five. It's one of the most famous sermons that Jesus ever preached. And Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you, say all sorts of evil things against you. There's other parts in that passage where it talks about like when, when just bad things, when you're poor, Um, not necessarily just in wealth, but poor in spirit. You're feeling sad. You're feeling down. You're not happy. You can't necessarily put your finger on it. Something's off. Something's missing. And Jesus says, that's when God blesses you. We've talked about this before at Kairos. That word for bless, it's makarios. Turn to the person next to you and say makarios. Makarios. And it literally means untouchable joy. When we think of blessed, oftentimes we think of vacations, you know, we think of time with our family. We, we think of, of anything that looks really good for a social media post. But in the biblical sense, blessed does not just mean those things, although maybe it shows up in those things, but it does not just mean those things. It means untouchable joy. And it doesn't depend on what's happening around you. It's not a reaction to the past, but instead it is a hope in the future. It is knowledge that God has promised you something in the future that cannot be taken away from you. And Jesus says right here, that is a reward that is awaiting you in heaven. And I know that that is sometimes as Christians, we all say, because we're supposed to say it, that's awesome. Yeah, heaven, that's everything I wanna live for. That's all. In fact, I don't care at all about getting awards and money and friends and status and power and a future family. I don't, I don't care about any of that, right? Because heaven, yay, heaven. Ah, heaven. Do we even know what heaven is? <laughs> The Bible doesn't totally reveal it to us. It's this great mystery. But what we do know about heaven is when we experience the full presence of God. In the full presence of God, you cannot, you cannot lack something. And do you know what that something is that you cannot lack in the full presence of God? You cannot lack joy. In this world, there are moments, there are times, there are experiences that make us lack happiness. We can't react to what's happening around us in a happy way. My reaction is actually very sad. My reaction is actually very angry. My reaction is actually very mad. My reaction is actually very confused. And I don't get it. How did this happen? But in this world, we're seeing things right now that we won't always have to see. In this world, we're experiencing things that we won't always have to experience. In this world, it is not always a joy fest. In this world, sometimes there is selfishness, there's darkness, there's death. But in the presence of God, all those things go away. His light washes it away. That's a reward that's awaiting you. That's your future. And no matter how we react to the things that have happened in our life in the past that have brought us to this moment, nothing and nothing can take away that future. A great reward awaits you in heaven. And heaven is untouchable joy because it's an untouchable gift that God will not return. He's purchased it for you. 
And we think about the things that we do see right now. We think about the things that we are experiencing right now. I think one of the things that we see and we experience that oftentimes robs us of joy is comparison. You ever heard anybody say um, that uh, comparison is the thief of joy? We look around like, well, what's this person doing? What's their joy look like? What are they having? What, are they, what, what, what do they see? What do they talk about? Uh, how great is their life? We compare, right? There was a summer for me when I finally felt free for, from comparison. My, uh, my freshman year of college, I mean, I, I, like, I, couldn't, I could almost hardly take it with how often I was comparing myself to the people around me. Anybody else feel that experience in college? I mean, you're just constantly comparing yourself and you're constantly having other people compare you. And it is exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. And we need freedom from that. We need to experience what it's like to not have to deal with the comparison, whether that's something that we're doing ourselves or something that somebody else is doing to us because comparison truly is a thief of joy. It robs us to look at the things that are in our life now and say, that's what I need, that's good enough. God's given it to me and I'm pleased with it, I'm content. But instead, our little prize looks very, very little and meaningless compared to someone else's wealth of a prize. When I was... uh, Getting to the end of my freshman year of college, I decided I was going to work at camp. I specifically was going to be working at Ingham Okaboji Lutheran Bible Camp. They're here tonight. Um, I'm telling you what, uh, you just got to know. It's, you want to know what heaven's like? <laughs> I know, because I spent summers at this place. This was uh, part of the staff that I worked at, or that I worked with at camp. Um, I, I'm, you can tell it's 2011 because I'm wearing plaid print swimming shorts. Um, and I'm holding a wand like Harry Potter. I don't know why. Everybody else took the picture seriously, but I, I don't know. And here's the cool thing. I look at that picture of people, and I see a lot of different people with lots of success. Like a lot of different people with lots of gifts. I see somebody in that picture who went on to be a doctor. I see somebody in that picture who went on to uh, be very successful in business. I see somebody uh, who went on in that picture to uh, go to seminary. I went to seminary with him to become a pastor. I see somebody in that picture who became a social worker. I mean, I see somebody in that picture who became a teacher. I see somebody in that picture who uh, is already working in school administration. I see somebody in that picture. I see, I see, I see a little bit of something for the future if for, in, in everybody in that picture, right? Everybody came in with all these gifts, all these talents, all these incredible things. And I could have spent the entire summer comparing myself. And at first, that was a little bit of temptation. But it's almost like that was washed away for an entire summer because it wasn't about what we came in with. It was about who we came in with and who had called us into that place. And for an entire summer, and then three summers after that, I felt like I was free from this comparison. I knew what every single one of them was doing at their schools, in their lives, what their hopes were, and what their dreams were, but it had nothing to do with what was happening in my life other than the fact that we had simply met in that moment. And because we had met in that moment, we could cheer each other on, we could encourage one another. And what was it that held us together? What was it that kept us from competing? What was it that allowed us to say, I want you to succeed, and your success doesn't take away from my success. Your success is simply God saying, look how proud I am of this person. This is great. And we could cheer him on. What was it? It wasn't how full our resumes were. It wasn't how many friends we came in with. It wasn't how happy we could become or feel. It was Christ. It was Christ's joy. 
thief that his comparison didn't belong there. It doesn't have to belong in this space. It doesn't have to belong in your heart. Listen, I hope, I mean, I'm serious. I hope every single one of you works at camp because it's an incredible experience and it is a place where you will feel free from that comparison. But as Dan, who's here tonight, would oftentimes tell people, this camp is not a bubble. (laughs) What you have here, you can take out into the world. And I want you to know this, Kairos does not have to be a bubble. It does not have to be an oasis that you just have to make it to at some point throughout the week so you can just have some relief and relaxation. You're like, okay, fine, I got free from it. The same God that you experience here, the same God that I was experiencing then, goes with you everywhere you go. This God goes with you everywhere you go and this God understands the details of your life and knows what you're going through and what you're enduring God doesn't say, go ahead and just be joyful because he misunderstands. Sometimes people will tell us, just get over it because they misunderstand. They don't know what we're going through. And it sounds just so rude and insensitive. But God says, I do know what you're going through. I do understand you. I've walked with you every single step. And I'm still gonna give you joy. I absolutely believe that the reason why God understands us is because of what he went through to be next to us. In the Christmas story, it's something that we can just entirely um, glance over so quickly, but, but I, I don't want to. And so for the final few minutes of this sermon, I just, I just want to soak in the Christmas story, okay? Don't let it pass you by, but instead, let it be something that sinks in your heart and that you're able to resonate with and that you're able to soak in over the next several weeks as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. In Matthew chapter one, we learn this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born, the one who's supposed to bring joy into the world to save us. His mother, Mary, was engaged to, uh, his mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. They weren't spectacular people. Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was a young woman. They hadn't made a name for themselves. I don't even know if they could have possibly pursued anything in their life at that point. Sometimes people will tell us Mary was 12 and Joseph was 45. That's just not true historically. Thank God, right? Historically speaking, Mary was probably anywhere between 15 to 18 years old and Joseph might've been a year or two older than her. Historically speaking, that's what we know. In case you're looking at some nativity scene this week and Joseph has gray hair, you're like, what in the world? It's not accurate. They're simple people. They had a dream for their life, get married, have some kids. I don't know, name them Bree and Blade. I don't know why. (laughs) But then their circumstances changed quickly. Maybe Joseph is starting his carpentry career. We know he was a carpenter. They're about to get married. He's saving up for their life together. And Mary comes to him one day and says, hey, so I'm pregnant and you know you didn't do that to me. So um, God did it. (laughs) You want to talk about being misunderstood? Mary's, Mary's the town joke. Oh, there goes the girl that said God impregnated her. Oh. (laughs) What do you think recess was like for Jesus? (laughs) Do you think you've heard some bad yo mama jokes? (laughs) No, you haven't. (laughs) 
You heard earlier that the emperor Augustus, see Augie, he had called for a census. In those days in the census, each person had to return to their hometown and Joseph was from Bethlehem. And so he had to return to Bethlehem. There's nothing great about Bethlehem. We're not like, oh, Jesus, of course, he came from Bethlehem. People those days, they didn't say that. Even today, there's like 25,000 people who live in Bethlehem. There's nothing special about Bethlehem. Jesus would grow up eventually in Nazareth. There's nothing special about Nazareth. It's kind of a gross podunk town. Think Nebraska, right? I'm so sorry. I, I offended someone, didn't I? I did. I'm sorry. Jesus walked into a life where he was, all, he was misunderstood before he was born. God says, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to bring joy. The book of Isaiah prophesies about it. He's going to have a government that will never end and his peace will reign forever. Those of you who walk in darkness will see a great light. Although you're experiencing sadness and despair now, joy awaits you. God will bring you into that place. Rejoice! And sometimes when we read those things and people tell us to rejoice, we feel so misunderstood. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've experienced in the last year. How could you possibly tell me to rejoice if you knew what I was going through? Before Jesus was born, he was already marginalized. Why? Why would God let the circumstances get so bad for Mary and Joseph as they're about to bring baby God into the world? I mean, my goodness, baby God is wrapped up in these little strips of cloth and laid down in a trough where animals were supposed to eat. Why would God let the circumstances get so bad? Why would God make Mary and Joseph so susceptible to react to it in an unhappy way? Something's missing here, Joseph. I don't know, like a roof over my head? I wonder if that was their first uh, marriage fight. This is before they're married. So I gotta get my context right. Man. I don't know. Sometimes I think that God was willing to be so misunderstood so that he could understand you when you feel misunderstood. And even though you feel misunderstood, you could understand God. You could understand God. I don't know what else there is that would bring, that would bring us so much joy. I'm not saying that you're gonna understand everything God knows, but you would understand God. You would see God and you would know God and you would recognize God and you would sense God and God would lead you and God would promise you things that you know will come true. The angels um, said over some people who were also unexpected and misunderstood in those days when they're announcing Jesus' birth, they say to a, um, a group of shepherds who are taking care of their sheep. And when we think of shepherds, we think like, oh yeah, like these cuddly guys, you know, weird. These, <laughs> these, the, 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 these gentle, nice uh, uh, shepherds, of course, they hold baby lambs, for goodness sakes. Uh, shepherds were not considered um, gentle and kind. They were considered thieves. Um, they were considered outcasts. They weren't really welcome inside the city walls very often. The reason why they were up late at night when angels appeared to them to tell them about Jesus' birth is because they were on the lookout for other shepherds from stealing their sheep. And the angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Everybody say good news. Now say great joy. Now say all people. Now say that's me. 
This good news of great joy is for you. No matter how misunderstood you feel, no matter how much you feel like nobody could possibly know what you've gone through, untouchable joy is for you. It doesn't mean that things will go perfectly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, no, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We're poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, but we have everything. We have everything. We're misunderstood, but we're known by God. So something else that we've maybe misunderstood throughout our lives is we believe that we have to pursue joy in order to get it. But what we actually find out is joy pursues you. Do you want to know what Christmas is all about? Christmas means that you no longer pursue joy. Christmas means that joy pursues you. Do you know why you can't ever lose joy, the joy that God gives you? Because you can't earn it. Because you can't do something to grab it. And therefore, you can't do something to lose it because it's given to you. I told you this at the beginning of the year, and I want to tell you this to end the semester too. The greatest things in life are not earned, contrary to what the world has taught you. The greatest things in life are not earned, but the greatest thing, the greatest gift in this world has been given to you. Joy pursues you. I think some of us, our biggest desire in this world is just to be pursued, just to not be forgotten, to be surprised that someone would show up in our doorway. A lot of you are going to go home for Christmas. A lot of you are going to go to a place where you feel welcome or comfortable. And if you're not, please know that we're lifting you up in prayer and we love you and you can talk to us about that. But I imagine your parents seeing you walk through their door and how pleased they'll be and how happy they'll be and how much joy it'll bring them to see you. You came home to me. Look in your doorway. God didn't just drive up I-35 or I-80, depending if you're in Ames or Iowa City. God didn't just start up a car God didn't just get through some final exams. God traveled the lengths of the universe to pursue you. You want to feel desirable? Look in your doorway. You want to feel acceptable? Look in your doorway. You want to feel loved? Look in your doorway. You want to feel pursued? Look in your doorway. And you will see that joy has pursued you all your life. Joy will pursue you into darkness, into death, and it will not leave you there. My favorite passage in all of Scripture 
It's one little verse. It's in John chapter one, verse five, and it says this, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's say the door of your heart is closed right now. Kind of like in the morning where the door of your room is closed and maybe somebody selfishly opens that door and the light breaks through and like, whoa, good morning. God's light is breaking through. But there's something so special about God's light. There's something so special about God's light. Oftentimes I hear people talk about how, you know, wherever there's light, the light always beats out the darkness. And yeah, that's, it's true in the moment, right? But one day, every single light in this room will burn out. There has never been a light that has outlasted the darkness, not once. Not a single star that's ever existed in the sky has ever outlasted the darkness. And not a single star that still exists today will outlast the darkness. Our own sun will not outlast the darkness. What a thing to say. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. There is something different about this light. There is something different about this joy. It does not depend on your circumstances. It is not a reaction. It is a state of your mind, of your heart, of your soul that is rooted in a promised hope that God will never take away from you. God has promised you the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven does not wait until you die. The kingdom of heaven has broken through into this world, and he has shown up in your doorway, and he has opened up the doors from the darkness, and light has broken through, and this light can never be extinguished. It's joy. I want you to see this tonight. I want you to feel this tonight. I'm going to invite our ushers down to the front, and you guys are going to light a candle from my candle. And then slowly but surely, they're going to light the candle of every single person in this room. And I want you to see this and know that as this is happening, as contagious as this light is, God's joy is more contagious. God's joy cannot be contained to itself, but instead, when God's joy touches something, it does just what Jesus promised that it would. It overflows. It fills us. It takes those places in our hearts that are missing things, and it feels like they have a God-sized soul or a God-sized hole. And a God-sized hole is not determined by its size, but instead by its persistence. And that God-sized hole, it just keeps staying there, and things keep on leaking through it. For our God-sized hole, we need a God-sized God who gives you a God-sized joy. And he overflows from you. And he reaches the lives of those around you. God's opened your door to let the light shine in. So whose doorway will you show up in? Whose door will you open to let the light in? Whose door will you open this Christmas to remind them that they no longer need to pursue joy, but instead joy has pursued them? the light fills this room. May God's love and may God's joy fill your heart. May it overflow your heart. As we sing a song that you've probably heard before, but let it sink in in a new way. Don't let it pass over you. Let heavenly peace fill your heart.
in your soul, in your mind, and let joy overflow. Amen.